my previous piece on school days, I was interested in setting up the conditions of the film, that is the kind of uh, ethical and political, even uh, memorial imperatives that guide us or should guide us as viewers in the film. That long reflection that Spike Lee starts the film with, long reflection on black resistance, black excellence, black beauty, and black possibility. And it sets for me two things in motion as we view the film. One is the inevitable kind of cynical disappointment. Like how could this place have devolved into what we're watching given the context Spike Lee has just set for us? But also something like the imperative or the ethics and politics and morality behind the final scene and the phrase that recurs across Spike Lee films, wake up. Because wake up is not just a call, right? An ambiguous call or a rooted call. It's something that's animated by moral force. And that moral force is really in the opening credits. Everything from the Middle Passage up through the Civil Rights Movement. So when we arrive to uh, the body of the film, School Days, we're in a position to really be disappointed, I think. Uh, disappointed in a parental kind of way, in an older observer kind of way. To be disappointed at the kinds of values that are being embodied, debated, fought over literally and figuratively across the film. To ask really about Mission College, you know, what is the relationship of what's happening at this college to a sense of mission? I think there are lots of ways to get at the core meaning of the film and what this notion of wake up means. There's, of course, extensive treatment of uh, student and administrative conflict, of the local politics and values of fraternity and sorority life versus political activism, especially related to South Africa, invoking in a vague way, but not in significant way, uh, a transatlantic sense of solidarity and black meaning. But for me, what I wanna talk about here is not so much those pieces of the film. Uh, I do think there's so much more to be talked about with, with Lee and uh, School Days. But what I'm especially interested in, in School Days, because I think this is a theme threaded across his entire work, but especially these, these early films up through Get on the Bus, so really like a eight to 10 year period, is the question of the formation of mas black masculine identity. Now, there are, of course, also questions of, uh, you know, the way the women in the film negotiate between each other, similar sorts of meaning around womanhood or femininity or however one would want to put it. But I think Spike Lee's real depth across the film is his exploration of a notion of masculinity. The conflict that structures the film is between uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character, Dap, and um, Giancarlo Esposito's character, the fraternity uh, head, uh, Big Brother Almighty. And in that conflict, we see, of course, what I had just said, the conflict between you know, local uh, sort of clubby values around uh, fraternities 
and a transnational vision of blackness and solidarity and politics in DAP. But for me, that's um, a conflict that's staged uh, less as the ultimate story of the film and very much more as a way of saying, look, there are two visions of the kinds of values students have at this college, male students have at this college. But what unites, what unites across those values is a sense of the formation of their own masculinity. In its starkest form, of course, the, you know, I, I would say the, the peak scene, what really triggers Dap to burst out of his room and meet Big Brother Almighty in the quad, you know, face each other and say, wake up, is when Spike Lee's character, Half Pint, uh, sexually assaults uh, Tisha Campbell's uh, character. And that assault is not an assault just as a random act, but rather a staged and manipulated act that's a part of the fraternity system. Part of the fraternity system that is signaled early on in the film when the fraternity uh, asks the soror their, their sorority sister group right, to clean their house, to get it ready for a party. And while the women object and, and, and you know, make faces about it and, and feel some kind of way about it, what that scene is less about the reactions and less about the demand and more about the dynamics that that sets in motion and understands then to be the conditions under which Giancarlo Esposito's character would basically understand his own girlfriend, who's also the head of her sorority, understand his girlfriend to be a piece of property that he can then buy and sell and trade for whatever he wants. In this case, for Spike Lee's character, Half Pint's uh, formation of masculinity, for his realization of what we might call um, in quote marks, or maybe without quote marks, his manhood. And that scene, which is gruesome, and it, for me, calls uh, for a content warning for my students. It's not explicit, but the conditions under which it happens, the way the men uh, cheer and laugh uh, at the humiliation of the sorority sister, and the way they praise and tease their, their fraternity brother, is, for me, more explicit and more grotesque and more traumatizing than were they to mimic in some way or stage in some way the assault itself. That sense, then, in which it's not simply that Spike Lee's character in having sex in a forcible way with a woman comes to his own sense of masculinity, but the way his masculinity is formed in a group of men, a group of men who buy and sell, in this case, women, in order to be men and in order to assign to others their sense of masculinity. But it, that hyperbolic, or it's, it's hyperbolic in the sense that it's, it's, it's a, an emotional element of the film that, that so exceeds other emotions in the film, I would say. That hyperbolic, intense scene is not alone. It doesn't stand alone. It's part of a wider arc 
that then I think we can look backward across the film and see. There's a scene where Dapp and his friends are driving back from going off campus to, to eat chicken. And all they can banter about is women. And at one point, the driver of the car, I believe, says, you know, you know, you guys are just so obsessed with women, right? Sleeping with women, you know, don't you have any other interests? And the derision they lay on him for that is played for humor, but I think it's only played for humor to draw us in as viewers. Like, did we laugh at that? And what does it mean to look back at that as a kind of sublimated version of what Half Pint does, right? A sense in which they, and Half Pint and his uh, fraternity brothers do, which is to define their own masculinity to one another through the use of women's bodies and the use of women as, as, as sexual objects, as vessels for their own self-actualization, which is so deeply tied to misogyny that we can't even separate their own masculine assertion from their violence against women. We can also see this in Dapp, who I know that he in some ways has been read and talked about and my students often identify him as the moral center of the film. And I really push back against that. And I push back against that not in, you know, his, you know, uh, interest in South Africa rather than local issues, right, which absolutely comes out in that scene where they're at the at the uh, fast food place and they run across some African-American folks from the community, other men, and they have you know almost come to blows in the parking lot and it has its own dynamic to it, which I think is really interesting, right, where, um, you know, Daps sort of makes a statement against the N-word, like none of us are that. When Samuel Jackson's character says, uh, really memorably for me, you know, it doesn't matter how educated you are, you are just like us, N-word, right? And so I think at that moment, we're led to believe, as in other scenes, that Dapp is a sort of moral center as a character of the film. But I actually don't think that's true. I think we get diverted when we see Dapp as that touchstone for the film, because every Spike Lee film has a moral uh, anchor. And discerning that moral anchor, I think, is part of the puzzle of watching his films. But we have to remember this scene, and I play it for the students, when um, when Dapp is, is laying in bed with his girlfriend, and she says this thing, it's very quick, but it is so almost overly articulated that I think we have to understand it to be the center of the film, to be, you know, among the centers, if not the center of the film. When she says, you know, Dap, sometimes I think you only love me because I'm dark skin and that gives you credibility for your politics. Now we know from the film that Dap's own assertion of his of his manhood, of his masculinity in the in the uh, presence of other men is around his politics, that it's his righteousness that makes him a man. And so there's this interesting moment where she highlights for us and maybe just brings out into the open something we hadn't noticed, but Spike Lee wanted us to notice because it's absolutely staged this way, that he too is participating in this idea that one only builds a sense of masculinity on the backs of women. Right? And I mean on the backs in terms of violence, right? 
of shoving down, of subjugating, of degrading, of objectifying. And so Spike Lee's film is, for me, a long meditation on the formation of masculinity as inseparable from misogyny. I think we can also rethink some of the critical appropriations of the film or critical commentaries on the film. I'm thinking in the Spike Lee reader that Paula Massoud put together, there's a few pieces in there um, by uh, 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 feminist uh, critics who say that the film is deeply misogynistic. And I think that absolutely there are a number of scenes that are misogynist. Obviously, the scene where Half Pint commits sexual assault and the men cheer it is absolutely misogynist. But my question is not, is this, are there scenes that are saturated with misogyny? But why would Spike Lee make scenes so deeply misogynist? Is it that Spike Lee is making a, a normative claim about the sort of role of women, right, as objects to be sort of traded, you know, for, for masculine bonding and self-realization, right? Is it that he simply revels in that? finds it humorous, finds it acceptable? Or is this a critical moment where he's trying to make men look at themselves and say, how would you define your masculinity? How do you understand yourself as a man? Is it always in relation to the subjugation and hatred of women? I, t I think it's the latter, and I think this is borne out both in the composition of the film, right? The fact that the, uh, the way that the sexual assault scene leads immediately to wake up, right? It leads immediately to that moment of, you know, we, we are asleep, right? We, we're in a nightmare and we need to wake up from it. What is that nightmare? It's triggered by that sexual assault and it's, it's, it's blatant misogyny. I mean, Dap is so enraged by it, right? That he doesn't want anything to do with his own cousin and that's some kind of statement to make. But I also think that that scene requires us to review the whole film and to ask about all these moments where masculine identity is asserted in moments of objectification and subjugation of women. And so the wake up, I think, is also for us as viewers, if we watched it and didn't notice or simply found humor or observation in the, this treatment of women. And that what we need to wake up from is this idea that, well, this, that, not this idea, this fact of living in a world where masculinity is only understood in relation to the subjugation of women, that it is masculinity in that way is inseparable from misogyny. There's something really important also about the wake up scene. I think it's most famous for uh, just the shouting wake up over and over, right? And you can say wake up and people will always think of school days. It does recur in a number of other Spike Lee films, but it's really the school days moment. But as the women are coming out, uh, filmed coming out in this sort of three quarters slow motion, um, coming out of their, their dormitory, there's this really important uh, uh backdrop to it. It's not even a backdrop, but it's a detail that one has to notice that the name of the hall they're leaving is Sojourner Truth Hall. 
And so for me, there's this interesting idea that Spike Lee's playing with, a proposition he's giving us that is extremely distressing, which is that I th- this is my reading of the film is that this relationship between masculinity and misogyny is a form of slavery, right? It's a way in which uh, subjugation of women is not simply to be understood as as, you know, just uh, treating women poorly. But he ups the stakes when the women leave Sojourner Truth Hall, right? That there's a question of where is the Underground Railroad? Where is the emancipation path? Where is the path of freedom from this dynamic? And for me, part of that is the interrogative moment of Spike Lee's films. He's always leaving us to ask and is himself always asking a question and leaving us with the question. And that's why his films, for me, are interesting to talk about because he proposes a series of questions and in the school, uh, case of school days, poses that question in extremely distressing and unnerving and enraging terms and then asks us to ask questions, right? What is that path out? because the stakes have been set really high that is now associated with emancipation from a certain form of slavery. And then I look to the film and I say, not what is the out, what is the solution, but where is the moral anchor of the film? Because DAP is not the moral anchor, right? That moment when his girlfriend says, you only love me because I'm dark skinned and that gives you political credibility. That's our our moment to say Dap can't be the hero. Why not? Because Dap, very much like Big Brother Almighty and Half Pint, is forming his masculinity on the objectification and subjugation of women. They're simply tools to realize his own masculinity. So if Dap is not that center, and I don't think, and this could be a critique of the film, right, in terms of alternative narratives we may think were better or may may wish Spike Lee had taken, he does not create a, a woman in the film who could then be that. Now, that would be an int- I think that's a really interesting criticism. I, and it's when I teach this, I often have extended discussions like, what if he had a different kind of woman in the film? Right? A third character who's not the sorority girl or the non sorority girl, right? That conflict right, around hair, around color, and so forth. What if he had a third kind of woman as a moral anchor? Well, that's interesting, but that's not the way the film unfolds, and so it's just, it's a, that's a hypothetical. The film is what it is, and so where is the moral anchor in the film? Well, and this is something I'll, I'll mention over and over again across these, these uh, voice note uh, podcast pieces, is I think you have to look to the music, And you have to look always, if he has a Stevie Wonder song, it's going to be the Stevie Wonder song. And there is a Stevie Wonder song in this film at the talent show where a character who we don't see elsewhere, and it is a a song and a performance that has no place in the wider arc of the film, where he sings, uh, he sings, uh, the character uh, sings as part of the talent show, I Can Only Be Me. And this Stevie Wonder song, and it's a beautiful rendition of it, I have to say. I, I think it's ex- exceptionally well-performed and uh, super compelling for that reason. 
uh, just aesthetically, it's nice to listen to, and uh, the performance is is staged really simply but really powerfully. But it goes beyond that, and I think that if uh, you know, I think Stevie Wonder is always the anchor, the moral anchor of of Spike Lee's films and maybe of of his own thinking and life. But this idea in the film, right, of you know it it you know it's just the refrain: "You can only be you." as I can only be me. And I think that part of where we have to go with an assessment of where the film resolves itself ethically, morally, and politically is not in a big vision of this is blackness, this is masculinity, this is femininity, this is whatever, class, this is color, this is hair. It's never gonna come with those imperatives. But it comes, I think, instead, again, to the interrogative, or the question of the interrogative, to this question, how do these dynamics around the formation of masculinity make it impossible for a man to be himself, for a woman to be herself? And absolutely, the gender binary is all he's working with, so that's why I'm staying there. That you can only be you, I can only be me, is this moment of, uh, for me, uh, it's in the middle of the film, but if it was at the end of the film, it would in some ways sort of logistically be better placed because then it would tell you, go back and watch everything about this film and ask, is anybody ever able to be themselves? Or is there something fundamental here that's blocking the notion that you can be you and that I can be me? the formation of an identity that is truly tied to something essential about who and what we are as individuals, but also in, in the case, because it's, it's school days, it's an HBCU, it's a Spike Lee film, about being black, right? Is there a way to just be yourself as a black person in the dynamics the film sets out? And the answer is obviously an emphatically no. And when it's the answer is no, and it's a film about masculinity, I think that it suggests the opposite of what many critics have said about the film in saying that it's a misogynist film or that it has uh, you know, sexist uh, depictions in it, right? And I think the depictions are often sexist, often have misogynist kind of undertones to it. And I think it's intentionally there to get us to this question. You cannot be you as a man if being you means doing this to a woman objectifying, subjugating, manipulating, and using in order to create your own identity. That's not being you. That's being a misogynist, right? That's being a model of masculinity that is not only cruel to women, but alienating to self. And so there's this really interesting moment, and this is the last comment I'll make, this really interesting moment at the very, very end of the film where Fishburne and Esposito face each other. And the students always catch it, but they're often afraid to say it, so I say it. And it looks like they're going to kiss. Spike Lee does everything deliberately, but they look like they're going to kiss. And there's an erotic kind of encounter there that for me is really important not because Spike Lee is trying to say something about same-sex love or, or eroticism between men, but rather that, you know, what's missing here in the film 
and you know, for him, I think thinking about masculinity broadly is a re- an intimate relationship between men. How do men relate intimately? And you see Fishburne and Esposito come up to the cliff, up to the precipice of that kind of physical intimacy. And they look at each other so longingly. It's a beautiful scene. I absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite moments in a Spike Lee film, the way they look so longingly at each other. It's fantastic acting and staging. But in that moment for me, I think Spike Lee is suggesting that if we want to actually begin to answer the question, what is what is masculinity without misogyny? It has to start with intimacy between men. What is that intimacy between men? What does intimacy between men look like? We don't really get that until Get on the Bus. And Get on the Bus is an hour, 45-something minutes of intimacy between men. And it may have flaws, it may have shortcomings, but it's the beginning of exactly what he promises at the end of school days which is to ask the question, what is masculinity without misogyny? Well, we can't even begin to ask that question without asking the question of what is intimacy between men without women? What is that intimacy of, of man to man and men to themselves as men, right? So it's not just Esposito and Fishburne as two distinct subjects in the world, but also the way men talk to themselves about their own identities. And in the end, I think what that's after, whether you like it or not, whether it's conservative or radical, I don't really care. But is this idea of being you. Like, what does it mean to be me? What does it mean for you to be you? That requires an intimacy of self to self. And if you watch that scene, it's a beautiful song, beautiful uh, performance of it. But it is absolutely isolating of the singer. And when it isolates the singer, we get a sense of feeling, right? A feeling of what that intimacy looks like between self and self. And then the film concludes with the intimacy between men. The kinds of conversations that think about, misog- uh, think about masculinity outside the boundaries and outside the work of misogyny. And in that moment, I think Spike Lee's film becomes not only a radical film that upsets all notions of masculinity, but one that has very real promise and very real, uh, it opens up a very real horizon that other films explore successfully and unsuccessfully for sure, but explores how do men form their masculinity without misogyny? How do they form intimacy of self to self as a man? And how do they form intimacy between men in order to think identity without misogyny?